0: Roberto Pereira, one-on-one with a keeper. Oh, Watford. It could all have been so different. Could have been 6-1. So, are Manchester City the greatest team of the Premier League era? Or have they ruined football? We debate while producer Ben tries to stop a large angry man from getting into the studio to shout at us. Elsewhere, we've got German stuff, we've got Spanish stuff, we've got non-league stuff. And we reveal Muddy Knees Media's big plans for the summer. It's all on the (coughs) award-winning totally football show in association with paddy power in the pod today the author of the excellent 250 days and Gathering in italy books daniel story good morning And author of the wunderbar Jürgen Klopp biography, Bring the Noise, Rafa Honigstein. Good morning, Ian. Good morning. And Emma Saunders, who is too busy to write any books because she is on Premier League TV, BBC London, Final Score 606, and is the voice of Watford because she's stadium announcer at Vicarage Road.
1: That's right. And this weekend, I've been Wembley'd.
0: Yes, you really have, haven't you? You were there twice. 25
1: Um, hours in total, I worked it out.
0: 25 hours of Wembley. Yeah. Wow. Um, we booked you for the show ages ago and uh, and Ben did check in with you to make sure you'd be able to be along with us. And you said, yes, and hopefully I won't be reviewing a 5-0 battering. Yeah, your wish was granted. There we go, yeah. yeah. Six. How did it go?
1: Well, I think most of the world saw it unfold, unfortunately. Mm. It was so disappointing But saying that, one thing it wasn't was embarrassing. I've heard that word thrown around a lot, but you'll see across social media and any Watford fan you speak to, there was nothing embarrassing about that. I think all those players gave it everything they had. And yes, they collapsed. But this Manchester City side, the gap between them and Watford, it's been apparent for, well, 30 years now, but none more so than on on Saturday, unfortunately. And I did. I felt I felt really, really awful for those players. And yeah, I think it's a game that we'll just we'll just leave it there. Yeah, into this, we'll yeah. just leave it there into the season. But it's not going to blight the season because the season Watford have had it's been record breaking. They've got a record breaking points tally in the Premier League. Javi Gracia, the journey that he's taken them on in the last 18 months. There's so much to scream from the rooftops about. And a reminder, he took over from Watford January 2018. His first game in charge was in the FA Cup, interestingly, where they lost to Southampton. And that was a real, real low point for both the players and the fans that day. So look what he's done in 18 months. He's gotten to an, a- an FA Cup final first time in 35 years. So I take bad. my hat off. It's not bad at all. It's not bad. And the fans had a good time. You know. They did. Up until five o'clock. It's one of the best days I've had. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then
0: downhill very, very quickly afterwards. Rafa, what went wrong for Watford? Well, I think
2: what went wrong is they found the City team that were really on it. I mean mm-hmm. the few games that city haven't won, they kind of sleep walked into the feed or so weren't quite there or were frustrated by the opposition The game have to games have to go in a specific way for teams to get something against city a you have to take your chances, which they didn't do b you have to defend and then you have to get lucky. all these things didn't come to pass combined with a city team that were determined to win the double um that were just as energetic, just as um ruthless and brutal uh, without possession as they were in possession. You can't really look at Watford and say, you know, what's gone wrong with them. They just came up against
1: a team that that you can't live with. I think it's more what they did right, what Manchester City did right, than what Watford did wrong, I think.
0: Daniel, you were at Wembley. Mm. um, City, the first men's team to do the domestic treble. They're not just relentlessly successful, they're innovative, they're exciting, they play with smiles on their faces. So I guess the real question is, what do you think of Mo Salah?
3: (laughs) That incident, to explain for anyone that doesn't know, at the end of the game a Manchester City fan, got into the press box, uh, was it, it Was pretty drunk, but also was very angry, and was screaming, uh, oh, you'll all make it about Mo Salah. We're the first team to win the treble. Why I bet you're not writing that. I bet you're writing about Mo Salah, which is a ballsy take when everyone's sat there sort of writing match reports on, <laughs> on the FA Cup final.
0: That actually happens quite a lot, though, doesn't it? I've, I've seen that a number of times. Mm. Usually, uh, certainly in the old days it was always martin samuel who got picked out cuz he was the easiest person to recognise but how good are they daniel cuz um yeah where 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 do you put them on the on the premier league pantheon for me it was always manchester united's 93 94 side cuz they were just absolutely relentless but i reckon this lot might be a bit better
3: yeah i think in terms of the combination of drastically high spending and incredibly well drilled coaching I, I don't think we've seen anything like it football is inherently and completely different in 2019 than it was in 1994. So I think it's a there's almost no point comparing it. But they're certainly the best team of the last five years and probably going to be the, ne- the best team of the next five years. It's the motivation right through the squad that's incredible. Like De Bruyne said, De Bruyne came off the bench on, on at the weekend and said, oh, I had a huge point to prove. Like, he didn't. Everyone knows how good Kevin De Bruyne is. But it's that motivation from Guardiola and within the club that says, it doesn't matter if you're at the top of your game. You have to prove every week that you are the difference maker that you deserve to stay in this team and that's what the money does it enables that that competition for places which just motivates every player they, they are incredible footballers but it's just how incredibly well drilled they are because if you took pep guardiola out of that team I'm still not sure they win the league I think Liverpool win the league so it can't all be about money but you can't also escape the fact that the, the money is what has attracted the project they've got Chicky in because he would get Pope Guardiola in, they've cherry-picked Barcelona's best, they've replicated what they can't cherry-pick and they've created this dynasty and I don't see it ending.
0: Rafa, it certainly started a debate. Uh, in The Guardian, Jonathan Wilson says, City's dominant signals that football is broken. In the Sunday Times, Jonathan Northcroft wrote, uh, it's almost too good. Their triumphs can lack the risk, spontaneity and drama that neutrals crave. Are they Are they right? Is this sort of tainted triumph or, or are people just being a bit churlish?
2: Well, I think these are two different points, really. The one is that there is a kind of Machine like quality to City's game. I mean, it is all about taking the element of randomness and of bad luck out of the game. That's why certain players who still have that kind of anarchic streak, Leroy Sane would come to mind, usually don't fare too well with Pep because he wants players to do the right thing every single time and they do it more often than anyone else. So I think you can, when you see them against Watford, when you see them in a game against a team that just cannot live with them, you can turn off a little bit and you can get bored a little bit because it is no longer a contest there's not a lot they can do about it because you can only then take that as a challenge for the other sides to to find ways of dealing with it the other point is you know they're kind of dominating as a result of money and no one can live with them I mean that's true to a certain extent but of course Liverpool did come very close of course in, in the Champions League Manchester City have yet to do it and they will not always, I think, have that sweet spot that they have right now with a team that's been built for Guardiola, with Guardiola at the peak of his powers. Everyone's still happy. I think time itself will be the enemy, as it often is when it's so intense and when a coach is so demanding. Things don't tend to last. I think whenever we're in the midst of a team dominating, you cannot see possibly see the end, but then the end comes, comes quite quickly. Yes, it is true that City were much more likable when they spent all this money and were shambolically bad. Uh, at times and had had very average managers and had some strange people playing for them it made for more entertainment because of their dysfunctionality but City are now much more professional and just use their resources better than anyone else.
3: I think what's slightly depressing is we have eras where a team becomes dominant and then the challenge to everyone else is to get better and match them I think with Manchester City it's probably fair to say that Liverpool got 97 points this season, would have struggled to do any better. We are probably reliant on City getting worse rather than anyone rising to meet them, I think. If City stay at their level or even improve, I don't think anyone in England can touch them. Emma, um, mm.
0: is, is there a, I mean you've just seen City at close quarters. How mm. do you stop them?
1: I oh, don't. I made the mistake of asking two fans this question on Wembley Way and they both said to me, just score more goals. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's not that straightforward. One, One thing I will say is... The big plus, I think, that's come out of all of this, a lot of people are quite critical of Wembley hosting the semi-finals of the FA Cup. In some ways, Watford semi-final was their final because that day, it really was a game. There was a big competitive element to it. You saw the way that game did play out. It really swung both ways. And when Watford won uh, the celebrations, that win, it it did feel like we had won a cup final. And obviously, you go into the, the Manchester City game, ask any Watford fan they will tell you of course you dare to dream the hope is there but the reality is we were never going to win on on Saturday maybe if roberto pereira had scored early on maybe if that handball was given but realistically it was always going to be such a battle yeah so i, I do think there's definitely an argument for for wembley to host those semi-finals in that respect because also i think if watford had won that game they'd only be the, the second team in the last 30 years to be first time winners of that competition which just shows how dominated it is by the big sides and and the likes of Manchester City. Well, they
0: certainly dominated there. Whether or not they'll dominate in Europe in the future is a question uh, still to be answered. Rafa, one of the questions in the press conference, uh, and I knew who'd asked it before I'd even seen, um, particularly upset Pep Guardiola. Um, Tell us a bit about that and what it all means.
2: Well, it was Rob Harris who, to his credit, is pretty fearless when it comes to these situations, and asks and goes to places where other people dare to. He is more machine than man. Actually. Dare to tread, um, and uh, we need we need guys like that in in the press because I think we're all as football journalists are kind of swept up in the narrative of the story, and you're trying to find a way to make the story interesting. But he, having a slightly more uh, political remit, can you know address topics that are a little bit uncomfortable. And of course, he did ask. Um, whether Pep Guardiola was paid in Abu Dhabi, i.e. off the books for some of the work that he was doing like allegedly uh, Roberto Mancini um, has received part of his salary while he was uh, a city coach of course Guardiola took offence which is understandable Um, he took offence with the timing of the story but also with the insinuation that uh, he was um, part of a conspiracy to to fiddle the books He he didn't deny it, did he? he didn't deny it although I think if you kind of shoot back as strongly as he has I think mm. he in his mind I think he felt that he was very strongly denying it uh, just basically saying that the question itself is, mm. is an insult to me the truth is as long as football has been around there's always been an edge to to a generate as much money and then to spend it as best as possible and English football more than other places because of its history with, limited, with the wage cap until the 60s has always had a big culture of brown envelopes and paying people in different ways, finding jobs for people, giving them bus tickets. I mean, all the greats, uh, all the legends, if you will, were creative in finding different ways to remunerate players yeah, who they I mean, couldn't
0: otherwise pay. Before the days of the um, the, the Jimmy Hill breaking the maximum wage, it was not unusual for star players to have particularly well-paid administrative jobs in the local glue factory or something. There you go. Um, of course, this takes on
2: a different dimension on the FFP. Um, Bayern were very unhappy when Marti Paranau, who wrote two very good books about Pep Guardiola, casually revealed that when Guardiola signed for Bayern... Bayern phoned up Adidas and made sure that he was going to get a very nicely remunerated personal sponsorship deal with Adidas. Adidas, who are 9% shareholders of Bayern Munich. So, (laughs) yes, on the right side of legality, but morally slightly dubious. And uh, another sign that that is the name of the game, uh, uh, unfortunately. And, of course, the question is, how do you do it when, at least in theory, you are competing with someone who has limited amounts of money this is a new scenario even with uh, Abramovich at his pomp, uh, there was a sense that Chelsea could not possibly buy every single player in the world Manchester City probably could if they really wanted to so I think against the backdrop of European football being in danger of calcifying a little bit at the top with the same teams winning again and again Manchester City's business model, I think, looks quite problematic and looks frightening to, to a lot of neutrals.
3: I think what it does show this weekend, more than anything, maybe not that football's broken, I think that's a little bit too far, but what it shows is that Manchester City are now officially one of the bad boys. They are no longer a good news club. You know, with the with the links to Abu Dhabi that I think people have deliberately overlooked because Manchester City played this role of noisy neighbours, of taking on this established elite of the Manchester United and Arsenal dual domination that was beginning to get a bit tedious and so we looked at the good side of Chelsea and we looked at the good side of Manchester City I think that good news story now has officially ended I think Manchester City are now and it's a sign of their strength but they are now one of the the bad guys again
4: you're listening to the totally football show in association with Paddy Power
0: Emma, side note to everything that happened at the weekend. Vincent Company's last game for City, Mm. uh, last game in England. Mm. um, Sum up his career.
1: What a servant he has been. On this note, the one thing I do want to point out is that I am so pleased there was no ridiculousness around his departure. What with the John Terry... Sorry. (laughs) Thumping the
0: table in rage.
1: (laughs) It was John Terry, wasn't it, that had that substitution at Stamford Bridge? And the whole documentary alleged series behind Griezmann, it just sums up his personality, doesn't it? And who he is. He's so gracefully just bowed out. I mean, I understand that there'll be a big part to play, I think, when they have their open-top bus parade uh, to celebrate all their achievements this season. But it just sums up who he is as a person. He's so humble. He never really has made it all about him, where really a lot of where Manchester City are now is all about him.
0: He's been there for the whole journey, Rafa. Um, there was a piece in the Times, uh, Oliver Kaye, I think it was, saying that when he turned up at City, you know, it was the, the last days of Thaxon, there was no coffee machine. Um, it was a very different Manchester City to the one he leaves behind.
2: It was a very different Manchester City and uh, it is to his great credit that he manages to leave as a captain who was not just a mascot anymore because I think there was a danger that he might be overtaken uh, in this uh, race towards a um, super modern uh, super passing football machine that Guardiola was building Uh, but he has fought back Uh, he has come back he's overcome lots of injury problems he's overcome uh, the effects of of age Um, he's not old in any in in any real way but of course um, you don't get quicker and as a centre-back playing a really high defensive line for City that was always going to a pause a problem or two, and he's he's done it. And the fact that we haven't talked about him over the last few weeks is maybe testament to his quality and performances because otherwise, he'd be the first person that people would have pointed at and see, Oh, City, you know, so the reason why they can't be winning is that company's not defending properly and he's not picking up runners, blah, 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 blah. To be fair, he's Co- done really well.
0: Coxie's had a good crack at that for, over, over the last couple of seasons. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel, he's off to Andelect, player-manager. Mm. You do not get many player-managers anymore. Um, it's very retro to any of us of a certain age. Who's your favourite player-manager of all time?
3: Probably Brian Robson because of the unreal the photo in the uh, top-half suit, bottom-half football, shorts and socks. Nice. Um, yeah, the reason you don't see it anymore is that the a managerial jobs has become absolutely all-encompassing in the modern game and full-time managers feel that they can do more and therefore it becomes impossible to keep your performance level high the Belgian league is not it's nowhere near as strong as the English league so company can probably play his part as and when but I don't suspect he's going to play that much football I suspect he's going to be concentrating more on you know it's going to it's a kind of halfway house but I don't expect he'll play that much football next
0: season. And Alec, of course, one of the most decorated and best supported clubs in Belgium. They've got 77 fan clubs, of which five are abroad. Um, One in France, one in Poland, one in Texas, one in Montreal and one in Sunderland according to producer Ben. Um, they've had a rotten season, literally, because their manager was Frank Rutten, who was sacked in April. But Vincent will be in good company because the current captain oh, is Adrian Treble. <laughs> producer Ben, sticky paw prints all over that. Um, how's he going to do? Is it possible to be a player manager now?
2: Um, probably not as a full-time player manager. I mean, you can kind of maybe be on the squad and maybe play the odd game and maybe be sort of in the standby mode, but it's very, very difficult to to react to things that happen on the pitch when you can't actually see them properly. Um, I mean, it is true that as the last man, so to speak, you probably have a better view of, of the game ahead of you than than a midfielder or a striker. But it's still, I think, going to be very, very difficult to do the job properly. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of motivation, in terms of getting the players um, to perform and uh, you know all the stuff and training, there's absolutely no reason why that should be impacted. But I think it's going to be difficult to do do it properly for over a long, lengthy spell of time. There are
3: there are rumors that he's going to try and take one or two members of Manchester City coaching staff across with him, which would make a huge amount of sense because in those situations, the assistant man- when he's playing, the assistant manager takes on a massive amount of responsibility.
0: Last word to uh, Watford. Emma, this was their first final for 35 years. Um, Are you still going to be knocking around for the next one?
1: I'd like to think it won't be another 35 (laughs) years until they're in another final. Um, But this whole Manchester City and sort of, it's not even top six anymore, really. This year, it's almost like we saw a top two, a next section of sort of three or four teams battling for those top four spaces. Then you had the sort of upper reaches of the mid-table, then the lower reaches of the mid-table, and then two or three teams that were really stuck in the mud all season. But I think it leaves teams like Watford in a really interesting position because going forward, how do they improve as a club? Because realistically, it's still going to be quite difficult to, to really battle for those top six positions. And teams like Manchester City just getting better and better and better. The best thing we can hope for are occasions like these FA Cup finals which you go to, and then you get absolutely battered. So I think, it, I think it leaves teams like Watford in a really, really weird space. And on the note of dominance, I think it's the first time ever, isn't it, this season that the same five teams have retained the league title across Europeans' five biggest leagues. Um, which, on that note, has anyone seen Ronaldo drop the trophy on his son's head? No. <laughs> it's a very, no. very, very, very... No, yeah, the Serie A trophy, which almost looks quite tuba-like. He kind of drops it to his left side and his son stood there and it smashes him on the forehead. Oh, my which God. Which could be quite an interesting scar to have. What a tale to tell.
0: Mm. Yeah, I don't really know what to uh, yeah, no, answer. Do, that? Do, I do look it up if it up Well, it. luckily, yeah. the trophy was unharmed. Well, Watford may not have picked up a trophy on Saturday night, but listeners, we did.
1: And the big moment. And the gold goes to a series that the judges said was a subtle mix of humour intertwined with razor sharp wordplay. This podcast weaves the football, conversation, facts, and some randomness expertly together. It's a real leader in its field. The winner of Best Sports Podcast is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson.
0: Hey, what a lovely night. Ended with producer Ben swinging from the chandelier with his pants on his head. Um, we have got some really big plans for the future and we're going to tell you about some of them towards the end of the show some of the other plans will have to wait Uh, but I do have to say thank you to a few people Audio Boom have been so supportive to us our sponsors particularly Paddy Power they've made it possible for this podcast to be free which is something I've always been very strict on hey You guys, you panellists, some of whom took a big chance on us, you've been amazing. And then we are blessed with the best producer in the business, Ben Green, and the best presenter in the business, James Richardson. And, you know, of all the many, many things I've had to worry about over these last two years, I've never had to worry that the show might sound a bit rubbish, uh, apart from the ones that I've hosted. Uh, Most of all, though, it's you, the listener, that we want to thank. You've listened, you've subscribed, some of you have left reviews Some of those reviews have actually been polite. Um, You've backed us all the way. Thank you so much. I can't wait to show you what we've got lined up over the next year. Um, And in answer to your final question, why isn't Jimbo doing this speech? Well, he's out in Bratislava.
5: Hey there, it's AC Jimbo. Jimbo. I used to do... Right. Right. Anyway, I just wanted to let you know we're having a great time here at the World Championship of Ice Hockey. Hanging out with Russia's Red Machine, they're a cuddly bunch. Learning to pronounce Swedish names and saying things like a in the 5-hole with the North Americans. It's good times all round. Mantha
6: works in. Like the oh. What a goal by Anthony Mantha!
5: Left toe save. The Danes, great saves, great furniture. With key games ahead, why not join us every morning for all the latest on the Ice Hockey World Championship in the Totally Hockey Show. Rafa,
0: you were not watching the FA Cup final because you had the culmination of the Bundesliga. Dortmund, two points behind Bayern going into Saturday, away at Mönchengladbach, and they won 2-0. If Bayern slipped up... Did Bayern slip up? No, they
2: didn't. It was exciting for about five minutes because Sebastian alle had scored an equaliser for Frankfurt. Bayern needed to lose the game to lose the trophy, but they didn't. They were very, very good. They were yeah, relentless in their attacks and they won 5-1 and could have scored a lot more. And for once they celebrated, I mean, this was the seventh consecutive Bundesliga title, but the closest of all of them. And in a way, the one that meant the most because Dortmund pushed them, because Bayern were not really relevant in the Champions League since getting knocked out in the last 16 because all the troubles that they had with Niko Kovac in the first half of the season were at one stage they were nine points behind. So it actually felt like a big victory, like a big triumph. Um, and then it had the added sentimental value of uh, Iron Robin and Franck Ribéry, both coming on as substitutes, both scoring goals and then both being sent off into the sunset with a lovely farewell and lots of tears Uh, certainly not for Robin because he spent most of the time complaining that he didn't score a second goal. But uh, Ribéry cried, Uli Hoeneß cried uh, in the terraces and um, it really brought the curtain down on an era. Ten years they were there together, they dominated for the decade, they made Bayern who they were, uh, who they are and tried to be again uh, when they they have to replace them. And it was um, a wonderful... Bavarian um, Saturday night, really.
0: Will there be tears for Niko Kovac? A lot of talk that he might get replaced. <laughs> there might be tears
2: if he doesn't get replaced. Um, there is there is no clarity on the subject. I mean, he came out after the, the game and said, um, I've talked to the bosses and they told me what's going on and I can reassure you I kind of know what's going on. And hmm. people were like, "What is he saying? Is he not? Re-? I mean, it was it was muddled. The boss has said nothing. A lot of it will will go down to come down to how they fare in the uh, cup final against uh, RB Leipzig on Saturday. But the bigger question is one of the future. Is he the right guy to give this new bind team that will have to emerge next season when new players will come in? when uh, Robin and Ribéry are gone, when more changes will be made? Is he strong enough a manager with a strong footballing identity and the ability to improve players, the ability to improve a team collectively with the ball uh, rather than without it because defensively Bayern have been pretty solid? That is the big question and it's not one driven by personal animosity or issues with with the dressing room in, in your normal sense, but one... Factual uh, factual questions about his suitability and um, very negative sentiment from the dressing room when it comes to the the real core of what it is he's supposed to be doing and
0: the, the bosses are listening.
2: And uh, it's a bit touch and go for him.
0: A couple of quick words. Uh, Dortmund, how gutted are they? They were 12 points ahead after nine games.
2: Well, yeah, after nine games. But more um, importantly, they were nine points ahead just before Christmas, which really was... Um, a solid lead and Dortmund looked uh, looked brilliant. They looked youthful. They, they played the the best attacking football in the league. They defended well. But then little by little, Bayern chipped away at their lead. Bayern were very solid in the second half of the season. Dortmund defended very poorly, especially from set pieces. And Dortmund perhaps, like they were against Spurs, if you remember, just looked a little bit inexperienced, a little bit naive in times. Um, didn't quite have the right mentality. Weren't quite there when it really mattered. And you could excuse that by way of looking at the squad composition, a lot of young players. But there are also one or two people who perhaps would have liked to see more leadership and more charisma and more presence from Lucien Favre. He is not that type of manager. That is the problem. He's very professorial. He doesn't really believe in the metaphysical values of you know, full throttle, mental attitude and all this kind of stuff. He likes to talk about positioning. He likes to talk about what foot people should use to control the ball, how they should position themselves to tackle. And he has made everyone um, play to their potential individually, but Bayern were there for the taking and Dortmund didn't take their chance. And I think they will rue this because whatever happens with the Bayern managerial position, I think it's hard to see them as vulnerable and as fragile for another season as they were this year.
0: And just finally, Luka Jovic, 25 goals, 43 games. He's not going to be at Frankfurt next season, is he? No, it's unlikely. I mean, Frankfurt are
2: basically saying, yes, he is for sale. And we understand that somebody comes in for him, we cannot keep him. The question is now, you know, how much money can they extract? Real Madrid seem to be the most uh, forceful uh, bidders at this point. They've already briefed that uh, an agreement has been made. I think that's true, possibly to the extent of the player having agreed to go but there's
0: still some haggling to be done over the fee. All right. Speaking of Real Madrid, Emma, um, they lost their 12th game of the season. 2-0 home defeat to Betis. Players all booed and whistled during their lap of applause. Uh, that was a lap of applause that, for some reason, Gareth Bale didn't go on.
1: Yeah, he was left on the bench, actually, wasn't he, he? Was. for the, whole, for the Un, whole thing?
0: Unused substitute while yeah. rookies played ahead of him. I um, mean,
1: no, pff, no one really knows what's going on there, but from the outside looking in, he looks completely disengaged, doesn't he? Which is so sad to see when you see how much his career was peaking when he went to that club. What will happen to him now? I don't know. I think he's got three years left on his contract. Years left. His agent, uh, I think even this morning, has come out and said there's no situation. He wants to see this out. I'm so not it, it seems surprised because yeah. 600 so grand a week. Yeah. Well, there's that. But also, I think their stance is they're going to make this difficult now for the club because. And it'll be interesting to see what happens next. Will he go on loan? I don't know. Who's going to be able to afford those wages? Manchester United have been thrown in. It would be a very Manchester United signing, wouldn't it? But I think it is going to be a big statement where they go. Because also on the horizon, you've got Daniel James, who is compared to Bale, a Welsh winger. So whether they take a punt at him at, and his future, or whether they go for a big name like Bale and try and, and reinvent him. But if they're going to do that, they're going to have to shift Alexis Sanchez, surely.
0: Daniel, six hundred grand a week for the next three years to sit on your bum and occasionally play golf or continue to prove yourself? Yeah, not even occasionally play golf. I think he (laughs) plays golf quite a lot more than occasionally. Uh,
3: The thing is, I always naturally sympathise with the players here, which is not always popular, but Real Madrid gave him that contact because they considered that he was worth it and they considered that if they didn't give him that contact, someone else would give it him. That's the only reason to give a player that money. If it hasn't worked out for them since then, Bale isn't the only factor in that Real Madrid have been a car crash for a lot of this season and some of previous seasons, kind of overshadowed by that phenomenal run in the Champions League. But the mismanagement of that club from the top down is is nothing to do with Gareth Bale. He's not blameless by any means, and injury problems are nobody's fault. But it's just, it is a it's a horrible situation. I suppose a loan move is the best idea, but it all it firstly all it does is delay the decision and secondly they have to persuade, still have to persuade someone to pay an awful lot of money even if they only play half of his wages or 25% of his wages and there are only a few clubs that do that he's been linked with Tottenham and I just think good God no well, it's just it's the antithesis of what they
0: should be thinking about this summer um, Elsewhere still a week to go in France and in Italy uh, but with the news that Juve's Max Allegri is leaving at the end of the season producer Ben called up James Horncastle
4: So, James, no Allegri in Turin next season. Um, I guess he really doesn't like that new kit with the pink stripe down the middle, eh?
5: <laughs> Perhaps. Uh, in fact, when he was saying goodbye in his press conference, he was handed a, uh, a shirt with five uh, on the back for the five league titles he's won, and history alone, um, because he stands in history alone. as the uh, Juventus coach to have won five because I think Carlo Carcano in the 20s and 30s one uh, 4 in a 5 year streak uh, but it was the old kit as you mentioned uh, Ben not the new one um, but he's leaving because well essentially he's been told that he's run his course and this is I suppose the big surprise in that uh, Juventus are making a very uh, brave and possibly foolish decision at a time when there is no obvious upgrade to Allegri on the market no one superior to him but certainly um, over the last few months uh, this idea within the club has uh matured that uh, perhaps Juventus can play better, can win better and uh, play a little bit more uh, sophisticated, have a bit more identity about their style of play. And that is why um, they have uh, reluctantly, I would say, come to this uh, decision because it was a very emotional um, press conference, a lot of affection shown uh, and respect between the president Andrea Agnelli uh, and Max Allegri.
4: Give us some of the names that have been linked with the job, James. Uh, is one of them Jose Mourinho? Jose Mourinho. <laughs> Mourinho,
5: that has not taken off um, so far as a as a as a prospect because of his past um, with Inter. The hot names at the moment, Ben, are Maurizio Sali. That is going to be one to follow, um, I think, because in terms of a change of style at Juventus, he represents. Perhaps the exact opposite to Allegri, and they were pitted against each other not only in a kind of title battle this time last year, but also in terms of you know what is good football uh, and what is you know, sort of winning uh, successful football. Um, and the other name is is that of Simone Inzaghi, um the uh, the Lazio coach who has. Well, he's the only coach to have won anything meaningful, I would say, in the the time of Juventus winning eight straight um, Scudetti. Um, Yeah, In terms of other names to watch, um, I know that um, Juventus uh, like a certain Mauricio Pochettino, but I think in terms of getting Pochettino out of Spurs, as Real Madrid have found over the last year, 18 months, um, that's a very difficult thing to do.
4: And what about Allegri himself? He was linked with the Chelsea and Arsenal jobs last summer. Is the Premier League his ultimate destination?
5: Well, look, I mean, ever since um, Allegri was at Calgary, he's had a few English lessons on and off. He understands English. I'll just uh, answer you in uh, in Italian. Um, I think it is a goal of his to work in the Premier League uh, one day. Again, I think it's going to be quite interesting to follow what happens at Chelsea um, after after the Europa League final. But at the moment, Allegri has uh, no offers. Um, there has been talk of PSG, talk of uh, Bayern Munich, even though they've got incumbents in Niko Kovac and uh, and and Thomas Tuchel. Um, and it might be that he just takes a sabbatical. Um, you know, at the moment he's uh, he's always uh, liked um, to go back to the seaside by Livorno, um, and uh, and he might even get married this year uh, in the summer as well. So, you know, it'd be uh, it'd be great to see, um, see see him in a TV studio taking on some of these guys who pick apart his game and thinks uh, that Juventus could play much better football.
0: Rafa Allegri, Bayern Munich, all makes
2: sense, doesn't it? For Carl's Roman Edward, he um he was the one who brought in Carlon Charotti, he speaks fluent Italian. I think um, they admire Allegri's uh, gentleman-like conduct, the way he can represent a club. The issues are and this hopefully doesn't sound xenophobic, but the issues the one of the issues is that he's Italian. Um Bayern one ideally somebody who speaks German, who they can control, who is not going to bring in lots of um, foreigners who are part of a staff that then perhaps take over the club and become um, their own little power base um, and the other issue is, you know is he the right if we disregard all that is he the right guy that can now take a team that needs a new direction that needs a new identity can he take them forward or is he more of a guy that takes a team that is already very good and maybe makes him a little bit better or manages them at the very same level i mean that's what he's done at juventus and uh the irony is that juventus now themselves want somebody i think who is a bit more transformative and a bit bolder and maybe takes him more towards a uh, a new direction and a, and a more recognizable footballing identity
0: i'm roger Giggs and i want to talk to you about loyalty i've always lived a loyal life Always drinking the same pub. Hey, mate. hey what is hey, you doing, Bitter. Never miss a training session in my life. After all, natural talent is overrated. <laughs> Always go to the same gym. Come on, Rod. Think of someone that makes you angry. No one comes to mind. <laughs> Problem is, loyalty gets you nowhere. Live for rewards instead. That's why I'm Paddy's Rewards Club ambassador. Thanks, Paddy. <laughs> Paddy Powers <his> Rewards Club. <laughs> loyalty is dead. Live for rewards.
4: On Spotify, smart speaker, and podcast platforms everywhere. This is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media.
0: Derby—they're taking on Aston Villa in the Championship playoff final next Monday. Depending on who you ask, it's worth hundred seventy gazillion pounds to the winner. Um, Emma, you've seen Villa a couple of times this season. Mm. Um, are they are they favourites for this?
1: They are favourites, um, but. If you speak to any Derby County fan, they will tell you, and if you've seen them this season, on their day, Derby are very good. That is the question, though. Will it be their day on that day? Uh, They've got a lot of young players in that that squad as well. It's going to be how they respond to the occasion as well. But I think if you look at the two semi semi-finals, Aston Villa sort of stumbled past West Brom, whereas... Um, the momentum that Derby County will have, having beat Leeds the way they did. You might argue that Derby County will be going to this occasion with just a little bit more oomph up them, but it's going to be a cracking final. It's really, really difficult to call. Uh, There's reasons I'd like to see them both promoted. But I do think if Derby have a good day, uh, Derby can do it.
0: Uh, Noted Derby County enthusiast, (laughs) Daniel Storey. Last year, Aston Villa were denied largely because Fulham hit upon the plan of kicking Jack Grealish up in the air every five minutes. Mm. Um, What can Derby do to stop Villa this year? Probably a similar plan, I suppose. Um, Richard Keogh might be the man for that job
3: if he steps out of defence. I think Villa had the better team, but it's interesting with Villa. Their season sparked into life, well, for three reasons. Firstly, because they brought in Tyrone Mings on loan from Bournemouth. Secondly, because Jack Grealish got fit. But thirdly, because they, they basically had nothing to lose. They were six points off the playoffs, having played two games more than other teams. And they went on this incredible run. And you just got the sense in that second leg against West Brom that everyone realised the enormity of the situation and realised quite what's at stake. Because Villa really do need to get back into the Premier League. They've spent an awful lot of money. Um, and yeah, the new owners will want them there. So I, I just wonder if... They they kind of choked last season in the playoff final. I just wonder if they might
0: do so again. Well, I mean, if the news of this Derby County bar bill is correct, they may still be hung over by the time mm. the kickoff comes. Uh, apparently £2,800 on beer, 75 Jägermeisters, 65 shots of Grey Goose vodka, 54 Sambucas, 38 tequilas, five bottles of Prosecco and apparently a Diet Coke for someone as well. Yeah, I saw a lot made of that. I assumed it was just a mixer. Possibly.
3: You Mm. think
1: so? I want to know who's drinking the dark fruit cider, though. That's the question. It's got to be Richard Keogh, isn't it?
3: Yes, Yes, it does have to be Richard Keogh. You're absolutely (laughs) right. Um, One one, one point to make on the championship playoff final, I am going to write a piece in it later this week, but the influence of the lone players in that final. Derby, obviously, with their kind of relationship with Chelsea at the moment. Fakaya Tamori is their player of the season in defence. They've got Mason Mount, they've got Harry Wilson. Villa have obviously got uh, Tyrone Mings in defence and Tammy Abraham as their top scorer. This idea of Premier League players probably going to win the Championship playoff final, um, it will come down to those players, I suspect. I wonder if it might lead to more, as we go on, more Championship clubs trying to forge relationships with big Premier League teams as squads get bigger, because they're basically Der- Derby's difference makers this season have been. Premier League players.
0: Something for a longer discussion there, and you'll certainly get that on the Totally Football League show with Caroline Barker and the gang on Tuesday. They won't just be discussing that, they'll also be discussing Chelten um, after their amazing penalty shootout win against Doncaster, which sets them up for a playoff final against Sunderland. Lots of happy memories. For Sunderland fans <laughs> there. Uh, further down the football ladder, Emma, you said you are at Wembley twice mm. uh, after the FA Cup final. What came next?
1: Non-league finals day. Yes. Yes. What a day it was. So uh, two finals back to back. First of all, the FA Vars, which Chertsey Town came away with. That game went to extra time, um, but it was Chertsey in the end. the curfews that came out on top, uh, they won 3-1. Uh, lifted the FA Vars. What I love about these non-league days is that they always throw up a few has-beens or plays that are related to um, former players you might be aware of. So, Chertsey Town in their side had Lubo Genshev, son of Boncho Genshev. Ah, oh, no way! Yes. Uh, so, he was part of the team that lifted the FA Vars. Uh, Cray Valley, who lost uh, in the FA Vars final, had Kevin Lisby in their side. Wow. Gavin Tomlin... So, their records at Wembley continue to not be very good. Uh, in the FA Trophy, AFC filed, having lost to Salford in the National League Playoff final. They came back and they won at Wembley, which must be so difficult to return there a week later. Uh, they beat Leyton Orient by a goal to nil. And uh, who's
0: their manager? Dave Challoner. Dave Challoner, the yes. original Rory Delap.
1: Yes, but one thing I will say. Even though Orient didn't win yesterday, one thing that was really nice to see they bought something like twenty thousand fans with them. The attendance of the whole day was forty two thousand. Um, but they yeah, Orient came in their numbers. And when you think, I think it was only five, six years ago they were at Wembley for the playoff final that they lost, which really was the beginning of the end of that
2: well, they, five
1: they, years of absolute turmoil they've had. A penalty kick away from being in the championship. I know, yeah. So for them to see to sort of bounce back and be there in such numbers enjoying their day out, even though they lost, it's just good to see that club in such um, yeah, I mean, high spirit good health.
0: <clears throat> Speaking as a South End fan I shouldn't really say things like this but I was there on the day when Orient went down and the pitch invasion and uh, I'm really, really glad they're back because they are, you know, in spite of being our mortal enemies and everything they're, they're, they're a bloody good club, mm, good group of people um, In other football news domestic football news, uh, Graham Potter, Daniel mm. um, looks like he's going to be the new manager at Brighton Um that's an interesting move but kind of logical. Yeah, if Brighton had decided that they were going to move away
3: from uh, what they would term as treading water under Chris Hughton, then it made sense to go different and Graham Potter is certainly different. Um, it was always pretty obvious from the outside that once Potter succeeded at Ostersund he was going to move, wanted to move to English football but also that there would need to be a a halfway house between the Premier League where he was aiming um, and Ostersund. And he's done a very good job at Swansea in horrific circumstances. Uh, the owners uh, feel that they have to asset effectively asset strip the club by selling players f- following relegation. And he's brought through a load of young players, uh, and Brighton bought seven or eight young players last summer. Who one of the accusations against Hughton is that he wasn't able to integrate them into the side. So it makes sense. The only the only issue he has is that he is re- he is replacing a very popular man in Chris Hughton. Uh, And if he starts slowly, which the fixtures are obviously not out yet, but could well happen in the Premier League, Brighton finished 17th last season, Uh, the knives may come out. And he hasn't had to deal with that kind of scrutiny before. But yeah, good luck to him.
0: Uh, Emma, it's a bit of a gamble, isn't it? But on the other hand, it's really nice that it's not a job that's gone straight to Alan Pardew slash Sam Allardyce slash Mm. Mark Hughes.
1: Yeah, it is a bit of a gamble. But then... Isn't that the whole point of getting rid of Chris Houghton? I think if he was to remain, they would just continue what they've been doing, that sort of treading water in the lower reaches of the Premier League. I mean, he doesn't have any Premier League experience, but his philosophy is sort of said to be much more attacking-minded, which I think is what the, the Brighton fans are craving. But I'm actually more interested in what he's going to be doing off the pitch. I read somewhere that with osterson's he encouraged players to apparently get involved in their communities and specifically musical theatre. So I've sort of got visions of Brighton players cropping up at Pantos across Sussex over the Christmas period. I don't know, we'll see. It's a knockout.
0: (laughs) Oh, nice (laughs) girl. Remove him from the studio. Yeah. (laughs) Rafa. You say it's a gamble
2: and of course... It is because he's not a proven winner, but then Brighton would not get a proven winner because they are Brighton. What I would say is that people should not underestimate the amount of analysis um, that goes into the decision-making process at uh, at Brighton. Uh, they are famously owned by Tony Bloom. He has made his money by looking at football as a series of mathematical equations that can be tweaked or can be gamed. And if they believe, after very careful consideration, that Brighton were... Um, performing below expectations relative to what they should be doing then this is not just a whim this is not mm-hmm. just sort of a you know somebody sitting in an office and thinking oh you know I, I I dream of winning the Champions League I'm going to get a new manager in so you should give them um, I think the benefit of the doubt that this is not this is not a hasty decision and um, I think as easy as it is for us from the outside to say oh Chris shooting, what a lovely man and why isn't he backed and so on, I think there are probably very good reasons they, for thinking somebody else might be doing better. They, yes. they,
3: they, they have been by all, well, from what I've heard, They've been sp- speaking to Potter and sounding him out since February. So this is not a this is not a sacking a manager and then start looking. This is a part of a process, which is exactly what we would expect hey, from someone like someone Blue. else.
0: Someone else is in a process as well. Middlesbrough. Tony Pulis has gone. Uh, massive championship club. Loads and loads of potential. Rafa. Any German B team managers knocking around? Yeah. Um,
2: the current Borussia Dortmund uh, <laughs> B team manager might 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 be in the mix. Um, I don't know. Jonathan Woodgate. We'll, we'll,
0: we'll wrap it up Yeah, there. Jonathan
1: Woodgate is an AV no, thrown in there. So.
0: yeah. All right, loads more still to come, including news on the Europa League, the Women's World Cup, the Nations League. Um, but not before we get some odds on some of the many things we've been talking about. Here is producer Ben, who's
4: been speaking to Paddy Power. Thank you very much, Ian McIntosh. And listeners, it's time to say hello to Lee Price from Paddy Power. Lee, let's start with the news that Vincent Company is going to be the new player manager of Anderlecht. So uh, give us the numbers, please, on Anderlecht winning the Belgium title next season.
6: Yeah, it seems like a great high for Anderlecht, but it doesn't make them immediate favourites. They're nine to 9-1 to win the title next season, although that's not too bad for a team who finished fourth in the regular season in Belgium. There's one thing we do know about Big Finney, though, is that he's a company man. And it's even money that he'll manage Man City one day. A very short price. James
4: Horncastle was telling us some of the runners and riders to be the next boss of Juventus next season. Uh, What are the markets telling us?
6: More movement than Gonzalo Higuain here. Lazio boss Simone Inzaghi is the new favourite for the Juve post. He's 13-5. But he wasn't the only boss sawing up the betting over the weekend. A certain Pep Guardiola has been backed into second favourite at 10-3, which would at least help him avoid any more inconvenient questions from pesky journalists. Uh, Conte and Sarri the two early favourites. They've slipped back to third and fourth for the market. Sari at 9-1. to one. Looks like he won't have this as his exit plan from Chelsea.
4: And finally, no sentiment at all for what's probably going to be Gareth Bale's last appearance for Real Madrid. So where is he going to end up next
6: season? Well, Bale's free to leave, we're told, literally on a free transfer. But he just may not want to. Our odds suggest he's most likely to start the new season at Old Trafford. It's 5-4 to four he joins Man United, because another inconsistent, sulky winger is just what they need to solve their defensive woes. Next in our betting at 6-4 to four is that Bale stays at Real Madrid, which would be awkward and it would handicap his game time significantly. So instead, he can work on his handicap.
0: You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. 18-plus only, be And when the fun stops, stop. Right, we are not doing another show until Thursday 30th of May when Jimbo will be back. So this is our final opportunity to talk about the Europa League final between Arsenal and Chelsea in convenient Baku. Um, Daniel, you told us your thoughts last week. Rafa, uh, what do you make of the... um I'm just happy that Frankfurt didn't make it. Um, So there's absolutely no reason
2: for me to be there. (laughs) Um, Although, I mean, the the, the few people I have met who have been to Bacchuset is actually a pretty fun place. If you can look up beyond probably some of the more nefarious things that are going on below the surface. But as a tourist, as a tourist destination, even though it sounds um, far fetched, quite literally, um, it's probably okay but it's probably not the best place to to stage a European final with, with teams who have to fly half over the world and fans who have got no accommodation, no flights, and, by all accounts, no great appetite to spend the best part of a week going to a Europa League final that um, that they probably don't really want to contest as much as it's great fun and as much as Arsenal have riding on it. It's not really uh, with those You know, teams' recent history is not really the trophy you want to win anyway. So,
0: Emma, you've just come from a cup final where. Most of your fans really only had to travel down the metropolitan line. Mm. Uh, this is very much the opposite. I mean,
1: the, the, yeah, I think there it's was... a 5,000 mile round trip, isn't it? That is a bit of it a commute. So far. One thing I will say is, I think it's been in the news the last day or so that both clubs are looking at returning quite a substantial amount of their allocation, which, by the way, is only 6,000 per club. When the cl- yeah. I think the capacity of the stadium is 68,000. Yeah. Um, I like
3: that that was obviously and rightly a big furore and actually they were going to end up returning <laughs> half yeah. of them anyway yeah. yeah.
1: the we're right <laughs> yeah. So- <laughs> yeah it turns out that
3: we could get there so don't give them that money.
1: so um, apparently either club could be looking at taking just 3,000 fans as a broadcaster at BBC London we, we know we cover a lot of Arsenal and Chelsea we're not even sending a team out there which I think says a lot so it's not even the fans but the broadcasters are also turning the nose up at this and saying nah no off thanks
0: off tube's good enough yeah, I do hope they're asking themselves some searching questions over at UEFA, I though it. I very much suspect that they're not. Um, let's move on then. Um, we'll talk about the Women's World Cup, Um if you remember last year, listener, you'll recall that we had nightly World Cup shows down here in our subterranean jazz basement, drinking beer on our lurid green sofa and watching a telly the size of the Ark Royal. It was wonderful. We're going to repeat the entire process for the Women's World Cup uh, with the offside rule. We'll have much more details coming very, very soon on how you can listen to that. So stay tuned to our social feeds. And speaking of social media, Emma, some of the videos, the promo videos coming out for, for the teams heading out there are brilliant.
1: Yeah, particularly the German women's team. The whole essence of that, their viral announcement video was we don't have balls. brauchen keine Eier. But we know how to use them. Spielen. There was a strong, a strong message of empowerment. Um, one thing I will say about this tournament, which I think is going to be really interesting, is um, women's football over the last few years, a lot of it, I think, has been whilst the game's growing, it's quite pr it's a celebration. Nothing wrong with that. There's lots to celebrate. However, I do think this tournament could be the first one where these women are really scrutinised and maybe for the first time ever we're... Not just celebrating everything they're doing well and saying, "Oh, well done for getting to the semi-finals," but if they do anything wrong, it might be the first time ever that we really put that under the microscope and talk about it like we do the men's game, which I think again links back into this Germany video. It, it's sort of saying, "We're here; you've got to really take it seriously now." Daniel, you're
3: off to Leon to uh, to watch mm. the last week. Yes, I'm going to the the semis and the final are all in Leon, which is for the hard-up freelancer is handy. So yes, I'm going the last week.
0: Beautiful city,
2: mm. it is. Best Great restaurants food. in
0: France, yeah. Oh yeah there we are again in unison Um, the offside rule by the way get all over that that is a place to hear more about uh, Leon's women winning their fourth straight Champions League title Uh, poor Tony Duggan before the game tweeted a uh, you know the typical here we go here we go but the picture of her was I've never seen a more pensive looking footballer she looked very much like she'd been called into the manager's office and asked to bring a friend as a witness it's like disciplinary hearings starting to begin and uh, no it did not go well for them Uh, one final note, uh, congratulations to everyone at Roy of the Rovers who got the front page of the Times today um, because Roy's sister, Rocky, is in her own new adventure. Um, You can imagine what the comments page to that looked like. Uh, on the Times and the responses of some of the readers, which has always baffled me a bit because I'm not sure it's meant for disgruntled middle-aged men in Tunbridge Wells. It's also um, not real is it? Well, exactly. I mean, <laughs> so if it's not real you <laughs> can do what you want. Maybe we should have led with that. Um, but I dropped my daughter off at school today and there was a 10-year-old girl having a particularly heated argument with a teacher about Tottenham, Liverpool and the Champions League final. I think it's very much for that audience rather than the very odd middle-aged men who haunt social media. Hey, i tell you what else we're doing. I'm <laughs> I'm go this. That's three out of four of us in to the say? room. <laughs> Do what else is going on in the summer, and that's the Nations League. And we've got a whole load of special shows on that too, sending a crack squad out to Portugal. And again, you can find out more on that on Tuesday on social media, because contractually we're not allowed to say anything else. Um, Speaking of the Nations League, Daniel, we've seen the squad. Gareth Southgate named 27 players. He'll whittle that down in a bit. Um, But it's not particularly helpful that nine of them are Liverpool and Spurs. And um, there's just five days that separate Champions League final and that first game against the Dutch. It isn't, but
3: they have got a decent break before the Champions League. They will be obviously bang up for the Champions League final, but they will also be bang up for the Nations League. There's This is a chance. It, it doesn't feel like a major tournament, although UEFA are desperately selling it as one. But it is a chance to to document your place in English football history. Uh, so I don't suspect there'll be any issue. In terms of the squad, the thing I liked is that, that Southgate is not, despite clamours to bring in the young players. We've got an under-21 European Championship this summer. Uh, he said he wants to trust the players that have brought him to this stage, allow those players to go and get major tournament experience in Italy. Uh, and then bring everything together afterwards in terms of European Championship qualification for 2020. And that makes a lot of sense.
0: Rafa, I'm sure you're looking forward to a four-team tournament with England and the Dutch.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, why not? I enjoy England playing I enjoy the Dutch playing. But I was just wondering if there's actually a trophy at the end of this. You're yes, nodding as is. if you've yes, seen it. Is. Because I haven't. I was just wondering if you just might get just one of those congratulatory notes like from <laughs> school day. Well done. <laughs> Little if...
0: certificate with a fake gold badge. Yes, um, but
2: want. yeah, you reassure me that there is one. Okay.
1: The one question everyone's asking off the back of his score announcement is, oh, how tired these players are going to be that have been involved across the European finals? I think the other question we've got to ask is how fatigued the fans are. It has been a long, old season, and a lot of these fans are going to be highly invested in these European finals, particularly the Champions League. And I think the players... Well, they have. A lot of the players from last summer have credited the fans and the support they had back over here because they can see it all through social media and how much that helps them progress in Russia. So I think the same. It's going to be a case of the same thing. So if the fans aren't necessarily as up for it as they were were last summer and supporting them out in Russia, it'll be interesting to see how that impacts the team at the Nations League.
0: Daniel, football never sleeps and neither do you because you're going to the under-21s in Italy. It's a tournament that traditionally England tend to you know, leave big players behind and haven't always taken as seriously as they might have done, mm. but that's changed now.
3: Yeah, it really has. Um, the two most notable players left out of Southgate's squad, I think probably Aaron wan and James Madison, both of which will play a key role, but... The strength and depth of the squad is like nothing we've ever seen before and, and there is real pressure now on, on A.D. Boothroyd to deliver because I think it'd be fair to say he's the one man in this structure that perhaps has not been over-promoted but has been, could consider himself to have been slightly taken along by the tide of goodwill maybe rather than earned his position and England should go to win that tournament. They've got a tough group, they've got France uh, in their first game which it will make or break that group.
2: What is interesting I think that because of the competition for places being so strong, Southgate and the FA are now in a position to say, you have to play for the under-21s. There's no more of this, you know, no, no oh, more. David got Bentley a, walking off. Yeah, I've got a hamstring yeah. or, you know, this sort of stuff because they will not forget it, which might have played a role with Luke Shaw not being called up because mm. they have long memories, these guys. Turn and uh, they're now in a position to actually do something about it because of the quality and quantity that's coming through.
3: The, the one, the one thing that the Twenty One tournament might do is it, it's almost backward from how it used to work. Is that it's a shot window for those players because if you look at the players who have been gone and moved abroad, you know, Jaden Sancho and Reece Nelson and Adamola Lookman before him, there's players in that squad that will not get into the first choice team of their top six Premier League club or top half Premier League club next season, and they should be saying, well hang on a minute, this is my chance to to impress scouts of Bundesliga, of Serie A, of La Liga clubs and really push on their career just from a two-, three-week tournament in Italy.
0: All right, well, that is all we've got time for this week. Um, Emma, you're filming with Watford today.
1: Um, Are they going to be all right? We're reviewing this season... Season being the key word, yeah, not just the FA Cup final. Very, very
0: much the large elephant in the room, the like FA Cup final.
1: Yes, but the season is what we'll be looking at.
0: Bless them, Rafa. What have you got lined up this week? I'm going to
2: um, to my bay to hang out with Liverpool for a couple of days. Really, mm. really? Are they yeah. on
0: like um, hot
2: weather those, training yeah, thing? Yeah, because yeah. it worked out so well <laughs> last year. <laughs>
3: It's hard to work out why you wouldn't be as bothered by the under-21 European Championships when you... Yeah,
2: but this is for work, of course, not for
3: pleasure. Dan, travelling out to the uh, sun? Uh, No, I'm not this week. Uh, I'm staying at home and
0: probably be at the playoff final next Monday. All right, then, that's all we've got time for. Uh, Join us again in ten days. Uh, Jimbo will be back, we'll have plenty to talk about,
4: and uh, keep an eye out for the Totally Football League show tomorrow. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and don't forget to check out our other football podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats.